What's up, everyone? John Drake from Talking Into Infinity and the Nerf Herder Council, and you are listening to Discography Discussion. Today, we are going to dig deep into Motley Fucking Crew. You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 237, Motley Crew, with John Drake of the Nerf Herder Council. Uh, I'd like to bring up the fact that Joe and Dan both have the same off-mic picture, and I want to know why that is. Joe thinks he's going to piss me off by putting a pergola on the screen, but I'm I'm not going to react. I'm not going to give him what he wants. Hosted by Dan Terry. It would have been better if Nikki Six had come to my house and poured sugar in my gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph Wren. Thank God he's in the Falcon. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you shout at the devil from the gunner seat... Aw, come on! Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. John Drake is here. Dude, we're talking about Motley Crue with this nerf herder. Yep, Motley Crue. Half of a good career, man. This should be interesting. <laughs> I think they were a little bit better than half. I, I liked more Motley Crue records than I than I didn't like, which is really weird to say, right? Because if you came to me a year ago and was like, hey, bro, uh, you're going to be like so desperate for clicks at some point that you're going to start talking about bands like Motley Crue on your show. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, I would have been like, yeah, whatever, man. We're going to talk about like suffocation. But we, we, we did that. We did that already. And we it already was great. Yeah, we already talked about suffocation. Everybody was mad that we didn't talk about the EPs. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. We're, not, <laughs> we're definitely not going to start talking about EPs now. And, and I just want to say, just right off the top of the show, that, like, I want to I want to clear something, about, something up about EPs, okay? If you have a band like Suffocation, amazing death metal band. If you're into death metal, you're going to love Suffocation. But there is no denying that that band put out, like, nine records that all sounded basically the same, which is great. If you're into that sound and... and Every two years you want that sound again, then that band did every, everything that you wanted them to do. They're the ultimate unpleasable metal fan, you know, fan. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, unpleasable metal fan. But whenever people <laughs> say thing, whenever people say things like, oh, hey, you forgot to talk about such and such EP or you forgot to talk about such and such demo. I didn't forget. OK, I listened to I listened to this band for an entire week, sometimes a week and a half, two weeks. I listen to everything they put out, and here's something you guys don't know is I do actually listen to the EPs, and if I feel like there is something very notable to talk about, I will. So it's not that I forgot to talk about your your favorite band's EP. It's because I listened to it, realized that the four songs or six songs on the EP didn't overall change my opinion of the band in any way, and I decided it wasn't notable, so I decided to leave it out of the episode. Does Motley Crue have a surplus of EPs that I'm missing? <laughs> I mean, they have a they have a demo, like a demo. Uh, That's it. I think so. Yeah. I feel I mean, like this is more of a rant like than an actual discussion about Motley yeah. Crue at this point, Ma Dan. Well, well, I just I, I just want to clear it up because this is this is my time to shine to talk about uh, <laughs> this sort of thing. And it's not that I don't love EPs. And if you guys care enough about us talking about bands EPs, I was talking to Joe about this last night, and we are more than willing to go back and listen to bands we've talked about on the show's EPs and maybe do like mini episodes on those, but they're gonna be on the Patreon. So, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to give us at least one dollar, you know, in order to in order to get access to that. <laughs> <There> so, <you laughs> but you know, we will do it. I, I I have no problem doing that. So uh 
You know, so, and, and, and at the same time, I appreciate everybody's passion. Number one, I appreciate that there's people that listen to the show enough to get mad that we forgot to talk about X and X and Y thing. You know, um, so we're willing to do that for you. But, uh, you know, just let us know in our comments or emails or if you want to slide into my DMs or whatever. Just, you know, just let us know if that's something that you guys that you guys want. So does that mean they'll have to go to Patreon to hear us talk about Quaternary today? Uh, you probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely going to have to go to Patreon. <laughs> suppose I should have listened to that one. Dude, I've been you listening absolutely. to Dr. Feelgood for the past 15 minutes, so I'm good with whatever at this point. Oh, man, I've, I've been listening to Too Fast for Love. It was funny about that record, man. Like I was telling Joe offline, you know, I Motley Crue's weird to me because it's one of those bands like the first five records are just phenomenal, and after that, it just like kind of falls off a cliff in a lot of respects. <laughs> and I realized the other day that I had heard most of the songs on Too Fast for Love over the years and everything, but I realized I never listened to the whole thing front to back in one sitting. I was like, "Holy crap! Really? How did I? Not? Yeah, I'm like, how did I not do that?" And so I did it, and I was like, "Man, this is this is pretty cool, man! Like it's." You know, it was in, it was interesting. I, I couldn't believe I'd never done that before, but yeah. So got me into the world of too fast for love just just to do this show. I mean, Mary goes round and round, man. You know, <laughs> like it's just. <laughs> it well, I was kind of I, I was kind of listening to it with starry eyes. You know, just like wow, this is really good. So see if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna do a, a song pun, I'm gonna I'm gonna get one in myself. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. You get you got this. You know, let's uh, let's take ourselves to the top here. You know, of course, John Drake <laughs> is gonna make a space pun. Of course. <laughs> and then so I'll be public space. enemy number one if I do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joe, is there anything you need me to read or get out of the way before we just jump into this uh, this this feast, this feast that has a weird diminishing returns effect? I think now would be a good time for you to shout out our beloved patrons. That's true. These are the people that, I mean, honestly, and, and, and I say this with no irony at all, uh, these are the people that make it to where we didn't play it. Like, they're the reason the show still exists, I think, it, to some degree. I mean, how many episodes are we at? Like 230-something? I did say 237 at the top of the show, dude. Yeah, without these fine fine folks, we would not be here. And so I want to take the time out to shout them out. And that would include Lost Fiction, Kyle Driver, Timu Rantiao. Is it O? I did the best I could. Uh, (laughs) Timu, if you're listening to this, uh, we love you. Thank you for being a patron. And... uh, Enjoy all of the different interpretations of your last name that I that I throw out <laughs> every time we do this. Uh, Dangerous Dave, Ryan Rowe, Richard Renz, Big T, and Big T, we want to thank you especially for upping your Patreon pledge to the tier where you will get to hang out with us next month on the Patreon Hangout. So make sure you show up. It's going to be a great time. Uh, Josiah Heiberg, uh, Brandon Miranda, Ken Zapla, Tantalized Fungins, best name ever, <laughs> Jeremy Prince, Josh Moser, David Brown, Samuel Woodward, Brian Dean, it's me, comma, Brave, <laughs> Lance Allegood, the King of Metal, Alexander, Patrick Asplund, and Jeffrey De Los Santos, the actual Mac, to quote Willy Wonka himself. <laughs> You guys are the music makers, and you are the dreamers of the dreams. Look at that. Thank you so much for contributing to our show. We really appreciate it, and um, we we hope that uh, that you're enjoying the content, and if you guys ever have any questions, suggestions, anything like that, please never, ever, ever, ever hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you want to see on the show. 
Well, before John Drake jumps to hyperspace, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Hey, you know, five-star reviews, they're they are a good thing. that they, they, they inflate my already massive ego. And, you know, so whenever you guys leave us a five-star review, it makes me happy. It makes the other members of the podcast happy. Last week we had a, we had a five star review uh, from a guy that you know said that our, our show was more fun to listen to than punching a sleeping baby. So I think that that is you know uh, that that's really all you guys need to know. Um, but yeah, leave us a review. Um, supposedly it helps us with algorithms, but to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you guys what algorithm what algorithms are thinking. Um, the reason I've noticed that the show does as well as it does is that you guys that are either fans of the band or fans of the show. Uh, are sharing these episodes whenever they post uh, to your favorite uh, social media groups, be that on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever other social medias that people use. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, people talk down on social media and how it's destroying our our, our country and how it's destroying our, our planet and, and humanity at large. But, uh, I mean, we seem to be benefiting from it pretty well. So uh, I, I appreciate all of you guys that are doing that. And, uh, you know, keep it up. There, there's no better feeling for me than whenever I go into a Facebook group and I make a post about a new episode that we posted and my post gets deleted because you guys have already shared it. It's a, it's an amazing problem to have. So uh, I, I really appreciate you guys doing that and uh, keep it up. John Drake, what's going on on the Nerf Herder Council? Well, we, uh, you know, you guys are at 230 episodes. We've got, man, we're, we're getting up there as well. So uh, we'll actually be live this coming Wednesday at uh, 8.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we are going to have a guest host with us. It's going to be Chris Mocked from Mocktails at the Cantina. Nice. Uh, so he, he'll be coming on. I actually was just on with him live a couple weeks ago on his show, and we're going to talk about uh, the 15th anniversary of his uh, really, really incredible uh, Star Wars documentary, The Force Among Us. So we're going to be digging into that. But also, uh, AJ has decided that we need to be school teachers on this episode, and we are going to grade several aspects of the sequel trilogy so a b c d e f um i I can uh, provide one teaser uh for the show i can pretty much guarantee everybody that uh carrie poppins will be getting a resounding f from pretty much all of us on the show so oh no uh, yeah are you serious well see you later that's what i think about that john (laughs) all right where's it where's it where's that where's that delete myself button damn it (laughs) you'll never get access to it he's gone he's gone (laughs) he gone (laughs) so yeah but uh nerf herder council's going strong man it's fun me and uh my brother aj and my buddy steve we do it every other wednesday at uh like i said 8 15 p.m eastern standard time it's live on our facebook and youtube pages uh you can find the audio version pretty much anywhere where you get your podcasts. So if you're into Star Wars and it's not not a typical Star Wars discussion, it gets pretty ridiculous, Joe, as you're aware. Um, you know, we, we always invite people to be a part of the discussion. So I'm still waiting for that host call, John. Oh, dude. Well, you got to tell me what you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> chat trolls usually go to the top of the list for guest hosts. So. <laughs> well, uh, I've actually gone, gotten onto a pretty big Star Wars kick again recently. I was kind of out of it 
after episode nine came out, I went and saw it. And then I was kind of like, didn't really think about Star Wars anymore because I was like, well, the newest movies come out. So there's not going to be, you know, a whole lot really to dig into after that. And um, for whatever reason, I got really into Audible. So, you know, thank you guys very much uh, for that. <laughs> no and I, I signed up for an Audible account. I got a free book. And yep. uh, I decided to I decided to listen to the Thrawn trilogy again because that's like my favorite Star Wars series. It's it's not canon now, you know, uh, but it's actually if you listen to those books, they do a surprisingly good job of like it could still technically be canon. It could it could fit in with yeah with, with what the modern canon is, you know, because um, it takes place five years after Return of the Jedi, so it doesn't interfere really at all with the other um, with the other books. Um, but what or the other movies? But uh, then I went back and I listened to there was a Thrawn trilogy, where because they they brought Thrawn into the Rebels TV show. Yep. And so there's a whole trilogy of audiobooks that that take place during that. And there was one that I that that, that I just want to shout out real quick, and we'll get to talking about Motley Crue eventually. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but there was there's one where um, it was called Thrawn uh, Alliances. Yeah. And at the beginning the of it, Palpatine. One. Yeah. So Palpatine sends Thrawn and Vader. Uh, out on a mission into the unknown regions and uh there's just so much amazing stuff that happens in that book uh there's a point in that book where like thrawn uses vader's use of the force to navigate through the unknown regions in hyperspace (laughs) which was which was incredible and um just the back and forth between thrawn and vader uh was was really 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 good and uh, I don't know. I just I, I that that was like absolutely um, fan service for me. I, I yep. loved it. And um, yeah, that book was was absolutely incredible. The one that came before it and after were really good too. And uh, so now I'm starting the Ascendancy books, which are basically about like Young Thrawn. Uh, yep. I can't say anything about those yet. I haven't really gotten too deep into them. So yeah. But uh, but yeah. So anytime you guys want to talk about Thrawn, you know, you just let me know. Um, <laughs> Could do that, man. Like I, I've I've listened to the first book. I listened to the second one, like you're talking about. Um, that's actually the one where they kind of like when they announced Galaxy's Edge. That's where they first really brought Batu into the into the picture. Yeah, it was in that second Thrawn book. So, um, and and the cool thing about that one that I liked is it's like a throwback book because there's also all the, you know, the Anakin, you know, Padme stuff in there too. So it kind of jumps to like from present time to like. You know, goes back in the past and everything. So it's it's a really interesting point of view the way that they you know did that did that book and everything. I, I haven't gotten into the ones after that yet. Um, I mean, admittedly, some of the books get a little long winded for me. Sure. So it's it's a little it's a little di- like Steve doesn't listen to any of it. He basically watches the movies and that's it. Uh, he's seen Rebels and that's pretty much where you know we we tried watching Resistance. We weren't big fans of that. Um, it's more more for kids, so it's you know we're not the target audience. Whatever. Sure. Um, but you know, you got the Bad Batch right now. If you haven't watched that, it's it's phenomenal. That's actually that one surprised me because I like I like the Clone Wars, but I've never gotten through it all the way. It's it's not that I disliked it; it just didn't grab me enough to keep going with it. But I was like, yeah, I better check out you know the Bad Batch because it came out. Man, it is it is fantastic. That is a great show. So I would highly recommend that one. So that's kind of what we're into. And you know, like I say, AJ's AJ's on a sequel trilogy kick lately. So he okay. wants to, he wants to kind of dig into that and. Um, we catch a lot of crap for the Last Jedi. 
because we all really like that. So there's a bunch of people that are like, you guys are high. That movie sucks. And it's no, like, it's actually right. my favorite out of the out of the sequel trilogy. Yeah, by mine by far. And I, I really like the Rise of Skywalker. And I'm you know rehashing an old point again. Like I said, we'll get to we'll get to Motley Crue because no one gives a shit about Star Wars. Yeah, yeah everybody's like, why are these <laughs> yeah, why are these nerds? But, one of these guys is wearing a Nintendo 64 T-shirt and they're yep. talking about like Star Wars. Like what what is going on here? <laughs> Just tell yeah. us when to show up, John, and we'll continue that conversation. <laughs> yeah, hey, dude, we'll we'll do it. We'll do it, man. It's you know, I episode seven to me is just an, an episode four ripoff. It's a fun movie. It has the greatest Millennium Falcon scene ever in the graveyard of giants, but it's, you know, that hung of junk four. is not going to stay together. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine so, how junky it was by then. You know, like. I know and it, it hadn't flown in forever. Like, like that, you know, last point and then we'll move on. But that was on the, like, you know, as a kid, I saw the original trilogy in the theaters. And so obviously when I was older, I saw, you know, the, 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 the prequels in the theaters. And man, when they brought back the Millennium Falcon in episode seven, I had that little kid moment when, sure. you know, the hunk of junk will do. And they show the Falcon. I was like, oh, oh, like it was such a cool way to bring it back. And so you're like, you're damn right. It'll do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was. I really was. <laughs> I really was, man. And it was. And then, you know, the Falcons just flying around kicking ass. It was so great, you know, <laughs> and I heard some guy walking out of the theater like, Man, that was kind of like it was just sitting there. Like it would, like they didn't have to make it do that. That's not really real. And I wanted to be like, you know what, dude, up your ass. It's the goddamn Millennium Falcon. Shut up, you disrespectful prick. Fuck you. <laughs> right. But now, I how did it end up in that junkyard? You get to make a show about that. Guys, exactly. We gotta, we Maybe gotta a, talk about um, Molly I don't know what what, what happens <laughs> yeah. between I don't know something like episode six and seven. I'm gonna leave that to your show for speculation, John. Yes, we gotta I, talk about Molly Crew. So Dan, yeah, yeah, yes. get us on topic. Tell me about Motley Crew. Man, Molly Crew. Okay, so Molly Crew. You're is welcome. A, by the way. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Molly Crew is an American heavy metal band. They're from L.A. Because I mean, honestly, do I even really need to tell you that they're from L.A.? I mean, just so much, so much glam, so much, so much uh, party life. You know, I don't, I've never really been to L.A., so it's it's probably. I'm just I've guessing been, here. I've been once. I've been once. Was it was it everything that you imagined it would be? Uh, well, I, I will say this: I, I I purposely went to the Sunset Strip because you know Van Halen is my favorite band, and I wanted to see all the clubs where these bands were from. Everything is smaller and more self-contained than you would think it is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was you know because you you read all these books and stuff like I you know since we're talking about Motley Crue, I, I've read The Dirt at least like thirty times. I, it's one oh, of my yeah. all-time favorite books. And, you know, all these bands talk about, oh, we sold out the whiskey for three nights. And you're thinking, holy crap, you know, and I get to the whiskey. I mean, if you put 200 people in there, it's assholes to elbows. I'm like, how is that impressive to sell out a 200? You're like, like, I was in a local band once. Like, yeah, I, I well, get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I sold out a thousand seater. And I'm like, right. and so I'm, I'm expecting the whiskey to be this big thing. And I'm like, it's tiny. And I'm like, yeah. wow. But. But also, again, because it was so self-contained and things are closer together than you would think they were, you could picture back in the day when they're saying, you know, there's, you know, people hanging from trees and all this people on the streets and on the sidewalk. It's like you picture it and it's like you could see how that would happen. And it's just, you know, you kind of think like, man, that was been kick ass to hang out in that environment on like a Friday, Saturday night. And just, you know, all the different bands that you have going on at the different clubs and, you know, getting into Motley Crue. Like they basically kind of started that scene. Well, so, yeah, and they, that they, becomes very evident as you go through the discography. Yeah. How many times 
do you hear something someone else very clearly stole and Motley Crue was getting credit, but did they have drama along the way? A little bit. I remember when Motley Crue came back and that was a big deal and I didn't get it. I knew the singles, but I didn't get how much of a big deal it was. But that scene, that late 80s, early 90s, thrash and heavy metal are popular now. Yeah, Metallica put out the Black Album, but thank Bob Rock and whatever the fuck he did with Motley Crue three years <laughs> before that, right? Yeah, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, like, I mean, with a band going all the way back to 1981, you know, um, in that scene playing. And th- this is my favorite kind of era to talk about Motley Crue, because I think we've all kind of been through like what their mindset was kind of kind of at that time, which was we just want to make we just want to make heavy metal music. We want to make music that like people are going to be like offended by when they hear it. But then like all the young people are going to come out for it and we're going to have we're going to have awesome parties. You know, we're going to have like just a really, really, really great time. And even even starting out back then, I think it was more like because you got to think like back then there's like dude it'd be really it'd be really cool if we were able to like play a show and like sell out the whiskey you know you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. talking about you know yeah. we could Probably eat like, for the entire week if we do that <laughs> dude if right. we if we do a good job they might like give us free drinks like I mean who knows I'm not saying that they will but maybe they won't maybe they will you know um, and so whenever we whenever we roll into their into their first album uh, too fast for love 1981. I think that that is really um, kind of self-evident because like when I when I listen to this record, like it starts off with the song Livewire, which to be honest with you, I was actually a little surprised at how um, how catchy it already is. Yeah. You know, for a band's first record, like because like we talked about Diamond Head a while back um, and we were talking about how like their, their original album was like super, super rough. Even Iron Maiden's first album was kind of rough, you know, starting out. And, um, you know, and even even Def Leppard, we kind of had the same sort of situation with them where it's like these guys were all very obviously inter- like influenced by like the kind of like British kind of heavy metal scene. And you hear that the most kind of kind of here on this first Molly Crew record where the riffs are the riffs are just alive. The songs are really, really, really catchy because heavy metal had evolved, you know, um, quite a bit, you know, between night, whenever Black Sabbath put out their first record, which I think is like, uh, what was that, 69, 70, you know? So, like, within mm-hmm. within the 10 or 11 years, so heavy metal had evolved into being something that was, like, really off-putting, I feel like, to a lot of people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, into something that was actually, like, really catchy and singable, you know? But yeah. this is still this is still not, like, pop metal. This is this is still there there's so much there's so much care being put into the riffs and and into the vocal melodies you know and um not really even melodies like like i don't feel i don't feel like vince neal was like as good of a singer as he would become you know on this record but i like kind of the youthful the youthful energy that's on this record yeah i like that i I like that the drumming is is like really the the drumming is actually fantastic on this record and i that's something that that's something that really stood out to me right away was 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 it, it's shocking to me that like for a band that I just kind of put in the back of my mind as a hair band and never really thought about beyond like actually going back and listening to their records. I was kind of like, man, these guys actually were, like they, they can't kind of came out of the gate swinging as far as like being aggressive and, and and catching attention, which I think is probably why they were they were signed as quickly as they were. And, uh, you know, um, got got kind of kind of put on that uh that upper echelon of of like bands from la at the time yeah i I, i'm glad you brought up the drumming because that's something that i really noticed is that i mean you know from a musician's standpoint when you listen to uh too fast for love 
I think the two things that anchor the album are, you know, the hooks vocally and definitely the drumming because, you know, you mentioned the riffs, but if you really listen to them, you know, and, and we play, you know, all of us, you know, play somewhat. Yeah. We're not obviously professionals, but, you know, if you really actually kind of break down some of the riffs, they're pretty juvenile in a lot of spots. And I, I think if, 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 if this record was left to be driven by solely the riffs, I don't think it would have been nearly as impactful as it was. Because, again, they're kind of, you know, you could tell it's like, you know, a 22-year-old, 21-year-old Nikki Six who hadn't really been writing songs very much. But then you've got Tommy Lee's drumming, which is, you know, it's musical drumming. It's it's aggressive and, you know, it's it's very, you know, it, it, it's like you said, it's, it's heavy metal. But it does kind of have that like rock and almost like a pop vibe to it in spots. You know, he's got the cool things that he does. He became known for the choking the, choking the crash and without like a backbeat on the, you know, the kick and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the, the hooks vocally, because, I mean, the, the lyrics, I mean, let's be honest, Nikki Six is not a great lyricist, but... Yeah, I mean, know, they're trash. I think most of Motley Crue's lyrics are trash. Yeah. Like, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I never really paid attention to it too much because it's Motley Crue. You listen to it, um, you know, for fun. It's a fun band to listen to. And when you really start trying to dig into it, like we're doing now, like I, I started trying to actually like, you know, analyze Motley Crue. I'm like, man, Nikki Six is kind of a crap lyricist. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, but the vocal melodies there, especially for such a young band, especially for doing something that was new and hadn't been done before at that time. You know, when you have, you know, those vocal melodies and that drumming, it, it really drives the record forward. And, you know, I mean, they come, like you said, they come out of the gate swinging and to open the record with Livewire, which which I think it's still my favorite Motley Crue song, the first thing they ever released. I mean, you've got, you know, Tommy Lee, it comes up with the double bass, you know, you know, and it's that heavy riff. And you're like, you know, I mean, I, I kind of thought about it. Like if you're if you're a kid in 1981 and, you know, Van Halen had kind of started changing the thing and, you know, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal started coming out. But when you get that as a kid and you're in LA and all of a sudden you got this band that looks like a bunch of Satanists and they come out and the first thing you hear is freaking live where you're like, holy shit. Like that's pretty mind blowing crap back then. I think it feels like the goal was to be big. Clearly yeah. this band listens to Van Halen, Motorhead, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. They have all of those early eighties heavy metal sounds but this is the first time it was an American band that you really paid attention to playing this style. Because yep. this is very clearly not Van Halen. It's clearly not ACDC. It's not those other bands that you've been listening to for the past five years. Yeah. But how much of the 80s sounds like this? Yeah. Well, and even this record for Motley Crue, if you kind of really think about it, this is the only record they kind of sounded like this because it got into a different direction that they kind of really leaned on, especially for the for the following four albums. You know, this one has more of a punk feel to it. And it does, you know, you can hear, you know, I mean, Nikki Six has, you know, always said like Cheap Trick and The Sweet and all these, you know, kind of like poppy type of bands. You can hear that influence. There's a whole bunch of you know, clapping in the, you know, in choruses and stuff like that. You know, the cowbells clanking away and... Um, but I mean, even, you know, you get into just the next record, Shout at the Devil, and it doesn't have that happy, punky, poppy thing to it. it they kind of get into their own little groove and it's a little bit darker. So, well, yeah. And I think I think what makes this first record uh, Too Fast for Love, like more relatable. I think it's the most relatable, I think, to the average person. Molly Crew record, because everything else 
everything else they do after this is so like soaked in excess yeah. that, that, that most of us are not going to ever experience nor nor do we, do we probably want to you know <laughs> like it's it's one of those like uh things and it's like because you know we've all been in the garage we've all been like picking our favorite aspects of all of our favorite bands and trying to write songs based on that and i feel like that that's what makes us the most uh the most relatable molly crew record because it's it's so where we've all been you know as far as like as far as trying to trying to make you know some some sort of impact like the riffing can be kind of pedestrian but at the same time because it's borrowed from so many other from so many other bands it comes across sounding more familiar yeah in a good way like in a nostalgic way so um it's really interesting to see how how they do you know just a just a couple of years later with shout at the devil yeah 1983 yep it's this this record man it's to me this record kind of like when i when i think about the 80s and i think about you know hair metal glam whatever this is the record that comes to mind I remember as a kid, you know, I, I discovered rock music when I was eight years old in 1984. Um, and, you know, I, I found the Van Halen 1984 record, whole nother story. But, you know, my older brother's nine years older than me. So when I'm, you know, in 1984, I'm eight years old, he's 17. So he's right in that wheelhouse for that 80s, you know, glam stuff. And I, I went up in his room, I found out he had all these tapes that were like Van Halen and Shout at the Devil was the first one that I saw. And I'm a little kid and I'm seeing that album cover with these guys in this makeup and, you know, fire behind the one guy. I'm like, and it was like scary in a way for, for a yeah. kid. But it also like I felt like the coolest kid on the block because I'm like, oh, I'm listening to this and it looks like something I'm not supposed to listen to. And, you know, <laughs> it starts out with, you know, in the beginning, which is like the like still the coolest freaking opening track ever. It's like it's <laughs> I, I, I was and I was I was really sure when I put that on. I'm like, oh, my God. Like he's talking about the devil and this thing sounds evil. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to listen to this. And then shout at the devil comes on and looks that kill and bastard. I was like, oh my God, like it blew my mind. And to this day, the record, it, sound, it, it sounds fresh. It feels fresh. It's the, I think it's the one thing that they've done that I hate using the term timeless because it's such a cheesy term. But, you know, some of their stuff can be dated and you're like, okay, well, it's gotten kind of like, but shout at the devil to me still sounds like it, it just doesn't age it's just absolutely freaking great from start to finish and you know it's it is absolutely their pin it's stupid to say that their pinnacle came with their second record but it's just fantastic it's like a perfect album too fast for love was the blueprint it was the structure that the band would build off of it is not that much of a stretch someone whether it was the band or the producer the manager whoever made the decision when this album came out, they took that piece of the puzzle that was there and they mixed it with Kiss. Yeah. I oh, have yeah. said many times, we talked about it with Def Leppard. Def Leppard was the sound of the pop rock in the 80s, but I think Motley Crue was the first attempt to come up with the new Kiss. Because what happened shortly after that, Kiss took their makeup off. They tried to reinvent and stay relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the pop metal. You know, the idea of like, you know, how do we how do we make music that would usually piss everyone's parents off and, and, and cause them to to burn the records, you know, or the tapes or, or whatever? You know, what how do we how do we take that but make it so irresistible for kids to listen to that, yeah. you know, um and, and so like there there's a level of genius kind of there that I think that that a lot of people can't get. So like 
the difference between like something like Shout at the Devil, where like you know, we talked about Iron Maiden a few weeks ago, and we talked about like the number of the beast, and how everybody thought that album was satanic or whatever, and the band went through like great lengths to be like it's not satanic, you know, it's 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 about a bad dream that somebody had, and we all our music is about literature, and they they like they like tried to go for the defense of it. And Molly Crew came at it from a totally different angle where they were all like, I don't know, man. Is it about the devil? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it'd just be one <laughs> yeah. of those. Yeah. And so, like, it's the smartest thing to do because, like, because I remember thinking of Iron Maiden as being like, oh, yeah, these guys are fine, but they're, like, never going to, like, piss my dad off. You know, like, my, dad, <laughs> my dad's going to hear Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and he's going to love it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, that sort of thing. Phenomenal song, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so good. But, like, the uh, the thing is, is that, like, this... uh this record, like, like God blessed the children of the beast in the beginning, like, 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 like the way, the way, and, 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 and to put a cover of Helter Skelter on there, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's just, it's just like, like they were trying to piss people off, and like it, it's, it's the same sort of like, it's the same sort of tactic that like bands like Limp Bizkit would use like later in the two thousands, you know what I mean? To like yeah. just really like put something out that's gonna upset everybody, but like everybody's gonna listen to it anyway. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would say the biggest, the biggest thing is that like this was still very musically good because you still have like. You still have the same band that, that put the last record out that you loved. Um, although I have to admit, Shout of the Devil was probably the first album I think a lot of people heard from Motley Crue, like in yeah. the, the audience at large. Um, and so to have songs like Bastard, uh, Helter Skelter, you know, um, like Looks that, that Kill. Looks the Kill. Yeah. I mean, it just, and obviously, Shout of the Devil being, you know, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't deny the 89 million streams on Spotify. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it doesn't even matter if I hate the song or don't hate the song. Like it's been eight, it's been streamed 89 million times. So my, yeah. whatever I'm going to say is, is null, but like, it's, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely a, a, a banger of an album for that year because it's just heavy enough. Like, sure. It's, it's in 1983. Right. So like dudes like me in 1983 are going to be all like this is a band called Metallica and they just released this No Life to a Leather demo and it's way heavier than all the stuff you guys are listening to but like as far <laughs> but like as far as the uh, as far as the the, the the commercial vein you know Mo- Molly Crew was about as like offensive and an adult quote unquote adult which mean by adult I mean like all the kids tried to find it yeah. you know uh, after the fact they, I mean, this was this was just number one. It's a it's a very musically amazing record, as well as being the result of marketing genius. Yep, and I I think one of the things that always stands out to me about it, and there I I don't know how many other bands you guys would, would you know say this about, but when you think of Motley Crue, this is what you think of, like musically oh, yeah. and image wise. You're not thinking about the Doctor Feelgood era. You're not thinking about you know, girls, girls, girls. Like you remember that, but when when you say Motley Crue, this is what you think about. You know, even bands like Metallica. You you know, you you kind of picture like the early era, but that's like a ten year period of you know that's you know you picture older Metallica and stuff like that. But it's like it's over five six records, whatever. You know, Megadeth stuff like it's the same thing. Like yeah, you don't you don't think about oh man like Peace Sells eras. That's it's my Megadeth. Like it's it's kind of the same. But Motley Crue has this ungodly definitive you know, version of themselves that is from this album. And no matter what they did afterwards, you know, when you say the words Motley Crue, this is what you think of. You know, my background right now that is, you know, the, you know, the, their band photos from the Shot at the Devil record. It's like, that's what people think about as Motley Crue. And, and the, the songs on the album and the attitude of those songs and everything, that's what you think about when you think about Motley Crue. Oh, yeah. You don't think of them as like washed up old school rockers from the 80s, you know, like, 
when at Molly Crew, for whatever reason, when you use the name, it evokes this era of the band. Yeah. Like yeah. almost immediately. Like, do you remember whenever Molly Crew was the band that like your parents told you you shouldn't listen to them? Yeah. And, you know, there were all these, you know. Remember when your dad said you can't go to that show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep, keep in mind, too, that like this was also like, and I, I like to add a little bit of a historical context to this. This was like right in the midst of the satanic panic. Yeah. That took, that took place in America where like people thought that the like, People thought that like small town churches were actually like satanic cults, and then yep. there were all these satanists that were like sacrificing babies to Satan or whatever. And then you've got Molly <laughs> Crew, you know, on on the West Coast. That's just like, yeah, man, like shout at the devil, yeah, worship stand, right? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> there, there, there's like the, the all, all this like shout at the devil, and they, they start heavily using like the the upside down star, the the pentagram, yep. you know, kind of kind of very prominently in their in their stuff because they know that like that's what that's what makes the album sales. For every parent that says, "Oh, this is terrible. This needs to be banned," you know, there's going to be ten kids that like save up as much money as they can in like a jar in their room yeah. so they can go and buy this record. You know, like it, yep. it's, it's and genius. rebuy it after the record gets burned by mom and dad. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You got to have that backup copy. Yeah. I went through that in the nineties. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like it's like I said, man. Like when I discovered this record when I was eight years old, it had been out for a year. Like I felt like I was doing something dangerous. Like I felt yeah. like I was the cool kid. Like I was I was always petrified. My dad would find me listening to this because first of all, my dad didn't like rock anyway. So I I tried to hide that from him for as long as I, I possibly could. Anything I was listening to that wasn't because he's only into classical. And when I listen to this, like I would go to school and the kids in my class are listening to Madonna and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there drawing pentagrams on my book covers and crap, you know, like, you know, I'm not even 10 years old. And it's like, I felt like the biggest badass because I'm listening to Motley Crue and, you know, it's, there's fire and pentagrams and these guys are wearing this makeup and stuff. And, you know, I'm listening to stuff in the beginning, God, you know, all men sins. And it's like, whoa. So, it, I mean, your point is 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 dead on, man. It's like the marketing for this was incredibly spot on, and it it generated album sales like crazy. You know, it was it was kind of like the blueprint for you know as as the eighties would go on. You know, people kind of I th- I think this was like the first time you could look at a record and really say that, you know that a band did what, you, what you're talking about, which is the image mm-hmm. and the imagery. To really be like, you know, you don't know what what the music is, but you know that this looks so badass that you have to buy it. And it, this was kind of like, you know, the blueprint for stuff that would come after. Does anybody else think it's weird that Striper formed in 1983? <laughs> they, they were the they, <laughs> they were the answer to Motley Crue. We well, can't I mean, let this happen. With, like Striper, Striper is one of the like. It's funny with Striper because like everybody gives them track, you know, crap for being like a Christian band or whatever, but like. They they mainly did just as they they did extremely well by using the exact same imagery and themes. Yep. Like as what what you find with uh, shout of the devil instead of shout of the devil it was uh, to hell with the devil or you know like, yep. uh-huh. like like all this stuff. But like it is interesting seeing how like uh, there's there's ripples kind of what Molly Crew did that would make other bands successful as well. Yep. Um, even if they were coming at it from a totally different angle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that record absolutely just kind of kind of blew my mind listening to it all these years later yep. was that, number one, it, it still sounds like fresh. It still sounds cool to listen to. And I feel a little bit like, because you know, I mean, even I, I was at work, right? And I'm like listening to this, you know, on my 10 hour shift or whatever I'm, list, I'm listening and, and, and uh, my friends are like walking around or whatever. 
and I've got my headphones on, and I'm like that guy in the meme that's all like, these guys have no idea that I'm listening to some pretty serious rock music right now. You know what I mean? Like, like, right. like they, they don't they don't know how evil what I'm listening to is. You know, like yeah. getting that feeling. <laughs> You know, it's the same feeling that it would be like heavily exploited later on with bands like Slayer and, and Venom and stuff, you know? Yep. Uh, but this is the be- kind, of, kind of the beginning of all that. And it might seem very like tiptoe, ease into the pool uh, type of stuff. But I mean, you have to understand how upset and offended people were by this, but also like entranced by it. Yeah. And th- that's how the band is able to kind of kind of move on to something like Theater of Pain uh, afterwards, kind of with that image already intact. 1985 theater of pain entertainment or death (laughs) i'll have the chicken Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah this is yeah this is this one's a little rough um it's not i don't want to say it's bad because it's still like a classic uh motley crew record i'd be lying if i didn't say i've heard smoke their cover of smoking in the boys room uh at least 400 times uh in my lifetime because i've i've had to listen to that it's just that you look at the cover and you've got you've got a, you've got you know theater masks. You've got one crying blood. He's got a pentagram on his forehead, and so I, I was like, okay, is this it? Like, are we fully on with the? Are we are we down with the goat now? Like, is this is this Motley Crue now? Like as we know them, and uh, the record that you ended up getting is a record that's not really quite as heavy as uh, Shout of the Devil. It is at times. Um, there was a song, I believe, I think it was, uh, might've been used it or lose it that I felt like was, was very metal, you know, kind of, but it also yeah. like the problem with these songs is that they kind of just, um, they kind of just meander on Yeah, and th- there doesn't seem to be as much like thought put towards the actual composition of the songs. My theory yeah, I, is they were so trashed during the shout at the devil tour. This was the best they could do at the last minute. And it just wasn't as good as that album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, Nikki himself has said that this is when he really started sliding into that heroin addiction. And you know, Vince Neil had had the car accident, you know, that killed the Hanoi Rocks guy, and um, you know, he was he was sober-ish, you know, for this album. And he's he's been very open about saying that he felt like he was the only one when they would play this stuff live. That is like half of this stuff is just pure shit. Like, and I, I think that's I think that's a good description of the record. It's you know, like the songs that are good on the record are really good. You know, there's some really cool Motley Crue tunes, and the rest is just filler trash. You know, most of the second side is just ugh. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, you have some great stuff. You know, obviously, Home Sweet Home is a classic. You know, um, Smoking in the Boys Room, uh, City Boy Blues is great. You know, um, you know, Tonight is really cool. That's kind of heavy. It's like you know that halftime. You know, kind of like it's got like a heavy groove to it. But then you get, like you said, you're talking about use it or lose it. And, you know, like raise our soul to whatever the hell, you know, half half of that record is just ugh. and, you know, it's it, you could hear, you know, the drug influence starting to come into the songwriting. It's he got a few good songs out and then the rest was just, you know, up, up, a you know, in a heroin needle somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Like the drugs don't affect them in a good way. Like the Beatles, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it's yes. one of those, like, <laughs> you know, the music doesn't suddenly become way cooler, you know, yeah. over time. And I think, I think really what this is, is this is, this is something we, we talk about a lot on this show is that like, there comes a certain point where like, you've got your first album and it's like, we're going to write these cool riffs and we're going to piss people off and we're going to yada, yada, yada. That's the mindset going into making your first record. And then now you're an established thing. You've become probably one of the biggest bands in the world kind of at that point. And now you're just clocking in, you know, you're, you're clocking in to do the Molly crew thing, but like 
really what you want to do is like do heroin and and party <laughs> and, and and drink and and all this stuff so like you 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 show up for work you do the bare minimum amount you know like these guys probably wouldn't have survived you know a yearly like an annual review you know like the rest of us were subjected <laughs> to you know uh, after after doing our job for six months or whatever and so they put out theater of pain and they they did what they said they were going to do they were going to put a new record out but it, like right it, it's so funny that this early in the career and it's kind of like a case study in 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 what 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 um popularity and kind of the hedonistic lifestyle in the 80s was like for bands where we're already starting to see the cracks on album three yeah <laughs> you know where it's like yeah i mean there's some songs that are like exactly what i wanted you know from from a new motley crew album but then some of them are just like yeah okay guys we went on for okay all right three minutes that's good right we can just cut here yeah you know and and it's it's so obvious and it, it doesn't get better anytime soon guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i mean it's like it's one of those things where it's like it, it kind of feels like he wrote like five or six tunes and was like all right sweet and then the label guy's like you need 10 for a record ah shit <laughs> like if we put you know, on an EP, they won't talk about it on a discography yeah. discussion. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this one, and you know, you you could te- you you could accuse girls, girls, girls of this as well. I I tech I don't agree with that. Like I'm, we'll get into that in a second. But with this one, and maybe again, maybe girls, girls, girls. It's like if you don't have those two banger hits, they're done because the rest of it just it's not that good. E- even though there's some cool songs on it, if you don't have Home Sweet Home. And smoking in the boys' room. If you just take, if you take those two songs off the record, you're kind of like, eh, you know, like, you know, yeah. You're going back to listen to "Shot at the Devil" now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. "Shot at the Devil" is like it's just a solid record front to back, and this is kind of like, ugh. yeah, I didn't skip any songs on that one. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just one of those like, yeah, great, keep the awesome going. This record, you kind of have to skip around to find something that you like, and make yep. sure you're skipping around between like tracks one and five. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are three heavy metal trends that the 80s i'm not going to say popularized but they made essential that was the first song is supposed to knock you out of the park the second song is supposed to be your follow-up single so you have a cover of smoking in the boys room that's awesome oh did i mention the heavy metal trope of play at least one cover song on your album (laughs) then we get to home sweet home I've heard it said this is the song that started the heavy metal ballad trend that would oh, yeah. not stop for 10 years. John, I got to lean on you a little bit. Is that true? Okay. I would completely agree with that. I mean, I, you can't you can't really think about any other band that did it before. I mean, Motley Crue did start the glam thing. So first of all, they were like that first real 80s band you think of, and they were really the first one to do this. I mean, if you if you pull up MTV videos... Uh, you know, on YouTube, and you go through, and you you'll see like you know White Snake, <clears throat> excuse me, White Snake, and you know Dokken, and and like you said, like Def Leppard and stuff like that. You know, Def Leppard had Love Bites, which was enormous, but that was two years after Theater of Pain and Home Sweet Home, and you know Home Sweet Home was the blueprint for it. It was that first thing, and, and not not only because of the song itself, but just the video, because you've got. These guys singing this song live on stage, and there's like hot chicks going bonkers in the audience, like, "Oh my God, I love him!" You know, the you know, the the image of Vince Neil reaching out and and the girl reaching out, like, ah, oh, like reaching out to him, like, "Oh, you're so sexy, I feel what you're singing." Like, it really, you you're dead on with that. This started that whole thing. And you I think even, any of those women got like a 
got like some weird like uh like, like, like view of view, view well yes obviously <laughs> but like some weird view of the future where they're like reaching out to vince neil then and then like a, a, suddenly an image of vince neil now is suddenly reaching out to them like there's <laughs> <laughs> so, so, she's there that those people are probably telling their kids like yeah i banged that guy and, and so their kids are googling vince neil the first thing that comes up is like you know stay puff marshmallow man vince neil and they're like good god mom like, oh, what God. the hell? Have some- <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Like it's instead of like skinny, hot, like like sex symbol Vince Neil from like the mid 80s. They're like, geez, Ma, good God. What the hell were you doing? What kind of drugs were you on? Hey, we, we were all attractive once. Right. Like, I mean, it is what it is. You know, How many kids you got, uh, Dan? Four. Uh, so I got four. Ki- I got four confirmed. Right. Um, so confirmed. Yeah. You owe me for that setup, sir. <laughs> right. Well, for, for sure. For sure. They're all upstairs right now, like being very quiet. I appreciate them so much. Um, See, I but, question aww. whether or not this is the song that did it. I think everyone has to really? point to that one song and say, this is when I had to deal with good song, good song, slow, boring shit. I think everyone points to this one, but I think Dream On is more to blame than this because Dream On was not initially a hit. But it became a hit later on. So did this just mesh with that in style and form? And we're going to play kind of slower, but we're going to keep the rock, keep the distortion, keep the heavy. And it's going to be something beautiful because anyone that says Beth is a power ballad, it's not. It's no. it's just a song. It's a good song, but it's just a song. Yeah. But I think Dream On helped a little bit. I'm going to disagree with you because if you're gonna if you're gonna bring up Dream On, then I'm gonna bring up Stairway to Heaven because that had that slow vibe and it's it was the that classic. It, so it's a it's a uh, like a brain chemical release thing. I'm not smart enough to talk about what brain chemicals they are, <laughs> but the, uh, the the idea the idea of a band that is that here, here is you go, Dan. Here, more, here. Does this help? Just, maybe yeah. you want to just take that from me. There, there maybe it's a serotonin <laughs> boost. Yeah, like I'll just yeah, I'm I'm going the wrong way. My camera's inverted, but anyway, uh, this will be funnier once I figure it out. But uh, no, I think it's it's the serotonin serotonin boost. I think I don't I don't know what it is. It's it's the feel good. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, chemical yeah. in your brain. Oh, is it time that, for that uh, one yet? No, we still got to talk yet. about girls. No, unfortunately yeah. not. We're not at Doctor Feelgood yet. But like, I think that like you know the the idea of a band that's known for being hard rockers, you know, playing stuff that young men like, for for lack of a better term, for like the hardcore like like young men in the crowd are gonna like these hard banging songs or whatever. And then Led Zeppelin goes into that doom 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 doom. You know, they get very yeah. like pretty and melodic. And Robert Plant's like. It's for the first time they start noticing like just how tight his pants are and like his long <laughs> locks and, and and he's a beautiful man you know like like that sort of thing, uh, and then but like but Stairway to Heaven gets like straight up banging towards the end like heavy you know yeah. like heavy Led Zeppelin again, uh, and even I like that even with like modern bands that are just like heavy 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 all the time when they start off like really slow like that and then kind of build into intensity until they reach their like more normally expected level of heaviness which is what Led Zeppelin did on Stairway to Heaven. Um, I think that Molly Crew was kind of kind of privy to that and and realizing that like yeah this is this is what we need to do, you know, as far as like start slow and then come out strong, you know, with the rock okay. and guitars. Yeah. And um I also think that to a certain extent too that they were so successful on Shout at the Devil that maybe they had kind of mis they kind of misjudged their audience a little bit because I okay. feel like it's I feel like some of the tricks some of the marketing tricks and stuff were a little bit more obvious on theater pain. And then whenever you move into girls, 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 they obviously 
haven't um haven't figured out like they haven't entirely like like they they think that people are still like easy to trick yeah <laughs> you know and people have moved on because like every time you're a band as popular as molly crew there have been 12 other bands that have put out a record better than the one that you put out that was your most popular one yeah they figured it out you know they, they they've either taken the sound into a new direction or they have like done what you did better <laughs> you know yeah. and and i think that like you know maybe those bands weren't as popular as motley crew but like by the time we move into girls 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 you have a band that everybody's so used to them doing kind of the same old little tricks that they almost become a little bit of a parody of themselves yeah 1987 yep I, this is the, i'm a huge fan of this record i i've died on this hill many times with other friends of mine that you know are, are motley crew fans and they say this is the crappiest of the good Motley Crue records, and I, I completely disagree. I would, for me personally, this one is, you know, just under Shout at the Devil. Um, you know, and I think, you know, to your point, Dan, like, you know, I, I don't think they really did anything with the sound. I think what Motley Crue did was, which was kind of interesting, was they just they just morphed their image. Right. You know, I mean, if you, if you just lumped, like, the first, especially the first uh, four records into a pile and just put it on random, you'd, okay, same thing, same thing, same thing. But the image for each one is completely different, and and you know they did that, and you know it's 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 interesting, you know, because I, I was I was arguing with a friend of mine the other day about girls, 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 and we're talking about songwriting, and he he made the point that you know Nikki Six is has this he's got this reputation as this great songwriter, but when you look at other bands in the '80s that were around at the same time as Motley Crue, Motley Crue as songwriters actually weren't really that good. You know, if you look at bands like, I mean, Y&T and Dokken and Warrant, you know, the actual songwriting is much better. And so when I was asking him about it, because he's a little older, my buddy Chris Aiken, he, he was telling me, he says, you know, the songs weren't as good, but having lived through that time, Motley Crue was the band we'd listen to to get laid. Like the other bands sure. like you're listening because yeah. you like the music and it's great. And you like Motley Crue and all that stuff because the music's fun. But like Motley Crue, you're, you're, you're trying to bang a chick. And chicks are trying to bang you. That's that's what Motley Crue is for. And so, you know, to your point about, you know, updating the sound or, you know, we just talked about, you know, updating the image, you know, then they come out and just flat out write a song like Girls, Girls, Girls and freaking title the album Girls, Girls, Girls. It's like, we're just all about chicks, man. It's like, and it's, you know, it's the most gratuitous example of what they're about that you could possibly have. It absolutely it works. I know yep. for me, this is the first time I knew I was listening to Motley Crue. Because when I think Motley Crue, I think Wild Side. That is yes. the songwriting with the classic metal sounding heaviness. Yep. Tommy Lee's grooves, Vince Neil's vocals. To me, this is what the band is after they got through their developmental period. Now they're yeah. just leaning into it. And I think that's fine. I do think you're right. It's another record of how many good songs do we have to write that we can play in our set and we can just keep being Motley Crue. Yeah. And that's fine because it's 87. They're following that formula. Yep. It seems well, so lame now. In 2021, it seems lame. Girls, 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 kickstart my heart, slice of your pie. I mean, it's one of those like, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I've kind of hinted at that I feel like their lyrics are mostly trash. And this is kind of like the textbook example of that, <laughs> where it's like, you know, 
but again, I am judging it from from 2020 years versus, you know, the year it came out. And I think that like back in the 80s, this was cool. It wasn't going to be cool for much longer, but they got in, you know, kind of at, at the point where it was where it was more or less OK. And it was what you what you would expect kind of from from a band like this. And I think that that's what bugs me about it is that it's just generic Motley Crue instead of like subverting my expectations. There we go. There's a Star Wars reference for you. Um, <laughs> you know, instead, instead nice. of. Instead of subverting my expectations, they went ahead and just leaned so heavily into the image that they already established that I think even at this point, I was starting to kind of reach exhaustion where I was like, they need to do something different now. I I can see where you would where you how, where you'd feel that way. I personally I kind of I, I love this record. This one felt much more like Shout at the Devil to me. Um, it kind of got back to that. It, it sounded a little more dangerous. It sounded a little more heavy. Um, and, you know, the songs that people consider, you know, the filler stuff, it, it's it's much different than Theater of Pain because the filler stuff on Theater of Pain is really filler. Uh, to me, I actually like all of this record. Um, Five Years Dead has a cool groove. Um, I mean, you know, Nona's stupid, but, you know, he was all drugged out. He lost his grandmother and just wrote this dumb piece of music. It's like, whatever, man. Like, um, you know, dancing on glass, people make fun of because it's like, oh, yeah, you're on drugs, you know. And he, he writes all this stuff about, you know, how he died like, you know, like Valentine's Day, whatever, you know, found me dead in the trash and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it, the songs are better, I think, than they were on Theater of Pain, which has always been interesting to me because he's way more fucked up on drugs on this one than he even was on Theater of Pain. I mean, he was a goddamn disaster. And he, he even flat out said that, you know, he, he thought the band was going to be over if it wasn't for Wildside and Girls, Girls, Girls. The band was over. You know, there's no way it was going to continue. And but he had enough in him to write, you know, two hit songs like that. But you know, I, I think this record is is solid. I mean, you know, they they had to throw in a live a live. You mentioned the cover songs. Not only was it a cover song, but they were too lazy even do it in the studio. They just recorded a live one. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it was. I mean, and, just throw it on and, the record. We don't feel like recording it in the studio. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know about you guys, but that song always makes me laugh because you want to talk about cocaine in the '80s. This song is the thing. Like, you know. Like one for the pot and the kind of jail. Da, 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 uh, let's rock. Uh, the jailhouse rock. Uh, the jailhouse rock. Uh, the jailhouse rock. Yeah. Like, I mean, there is, I mean, the tempo is just holy Welcome to God. Nerf Herder aerobics, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, am I wrong? Like, he's, I mean, it's like, get, 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 it's like thrash metal in that chorus. Like, holy shit, Tommy. Like, there's a tempo thing here. Do you have a metronome back there? Like, I'll say crazy. it. Tommy can fucking play. Oh, yeah. I have heard oh, yeah. so much naysaying over the years. Do I think he's the greatest drummer ever? Absolutely not. Chad Kent, thank you very much. But Tommy can lay down a groove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And every time I see him either do a solo live or even when he's done some solo appearances, he's always playing techno or rave or industrial something to augment the beat so he's clearly into rhythmic music dude knows yeah. how to keep a beat so give him the credit damn it oh dude he's he's amazing and i think i mean if you try like him in his simplest form you know sammy hagar's got that show that road trip or rock and roll road trip and one of his guests on one of the early seasons was tommy lee and sammy and michael anthony go down into, into Tommy's studio and they do uh, uh, Rock Candy. And Tommy just that simple, you know, just that. And you can hear just everything he, his hits are so powerful. 
and the pocket is so tight and the backbeat is so strong. It's like, you know, I mean, you can't accuse Mick Mars of being a great guitar player. He's solid enough. Vince Neil, obviously, <laughs> as, a li as a live vocalist is and whatever. You know, Nikki Six will never be confused with Les Claypool, you know. Um, but Tommy Lee, you can actually look at him as the one guy in the band that legitimately is an actual, like, solid, very good musician. You know, he's the one that can bring some musicianship to it. And, you know, like we talked about with Too Fast for Love, you know, stuff like Wild Side, you know, it's a pretty simple riff, which is cool. But Tommy Lee with the, you know, that, that backbeat with the double time on the hi-hat stuff is like, it, it really drives what they do. I agree. And I want to make a, a small correction earlier when I was making fun of song titles. The song titles that I was making fun of, like Slice of Your Pie and <laughs> Kickstart My Heart, were on Dr. Feelgood, but I just, you know. I, I didn't I didn't want to. I didn't I want to. Ahead, I got ahead of myself, uh, but you know. I figured we'd I'm get gonna, we'd get to Doctor Feelgood in a minute, so I figured I should let it go. Yeah, I'm gonna equal. I'm gonna equally still trash on those song titles, uh, even when we get there. But just <laughs> I think it's just, time you know, for all the for all the nerds in the audience that are like, "Hey, you were talking about girls, 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 and you said that this song." You know, uh, yeah. So I, I, I poo pooed on that. So just, you know, <laughs> nice. I just want to get a, get out in front of it. 1989, Doctor Feelgood. <laughs> I mean, somebody I, needs to correct that. Look, somebody needs to fix that shower, replace some of the tiles uh, <laughs> on, that, on, that, on that shower right. because they're, they're cracking. I bet there's some mold down there at the bottom. It's, it's not <laughs> not a shower I'd want to be in. <laughs> I don't know if it's a Motley Crue shower. You know, there's tons of hot naked chicks in it, so that might not be too bad. <laughs> yeah, but there's no drugs. You know, I think that's uh, that's the big thing Supposedly. with Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can we can get into <laughs> air that. quotes. No drugs. Well, uh, uh, the official story is is that uh, the band had cleaned up significantly between Girls, 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 and Doctor Feelgood, and uh, you know, I, and and th this is where there where my criticism kind of the song titles comes from. Is it like when you take the drugs out of Motley Crue, all that is left is the womanizing, uh, and that's where I was kind of like, oh boy, yeah. here we go. We got slice of your pie. We got kickstart my heart. We got sticky sweet. We got, you know, like she all goes these down. Kind of just she goes down. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor Feelgood. You've got these crappy. Well, I, I thought Doctor Feelgood was just about Bob Ross. Because uh, can we talk about the guitar tone on this record for a second? Uh, Bro. Bob Ross, Bob Ross. No, that's the painter. I was. I, I, I didn't want Bob to bring Ross. it up. I wanted to see how far he'd go with it. My wife I did and I, too. My wife like, and I watched like a, a lot of Bob Ross. The I'm painter. like, is, um, is he is he really bringing up Bob Ross as Doctor yeah, Feelgood? Like, because no. Bob Ross makes you feel good as he paints. Like, I was I'm, waiting for that. I'm having an off night, gentlemen. But today uh, we're going to be painting. <laughs> Bob a Rock. shower scene with some happy little trees in it. <laughs> Bob Rock uh, definitely pulled kind of a heavier guitar tone uh, out of this band. He modernized them as much as modernization was relevant in 1989. I feel like in a certain sense, he got them ready for the 90s, you know, uh, because this is this is one of the harder albums from like more modern stand from a more modern standpoint. You listen to this and you're like, OK, yeah, this is this is pretty rocking. Um for whatever reason, 80s guitar tones, like heavy 80s guitar tones, uh, sometimes bother me. Not all the time, but like like whenever we were doing our Iron Maiden episode, and I was like, man, these songs are so much better live, you know, because the band sounds more like they play like a little bit harder live and their yeah. their guitar tones are like more modernized, you know, when they play live. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, the song Dr. Feelgood, number one, being such a huge, being such a huge hit anyway, 
And you have Molly Crew. They're supposedly all clean. That's the official story that they're all off drugs and that this is their first, like, this is their attempt to keep the band together, their livelihood, you know, kind of kind of intact. Um, and I would say musically, I feel like this is a huge step in the right direction as far yeah. as them still sounding like Molly Crew, but having kind of those more modern elements. Uh, unfortunately, modern elements are not going to always be kind to the band, which we're going to get into uh, later. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I do think that, like, for this year, I think that this record still sounds more or less timeless. And I think it sounds, I think it, it sonically, it sounds really good. But the yes. lyrics are the lyrics and song titles are just trash because you've still got kind of like oh my god it, like ly- like musically it's like a huge step forward and lyrically it's like girls 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 part two you know yeah and I I, I I completely agree with you because it does sound great it does sound like I said I hate the word but you know uh, timeless it does sound like that and I think because it sounds so much better and so much tighter and the songwriting has has just been tightened up so much it makes the lyrical content stand out that much more. So what you have is like this clean, you know, muscular Motley Crue in terms of songwriting and sound, but you've still got the stupid lyrics from like 1985 and you're just like, like, so I think it kind of makes it stand out like a sore thumb. And if you listen to, you know, extended versions of the album and you hear like the demos and stuff, like if you, if you listen to the, the demo version of, of the song, Dr. Feel Good, those lyrics are just terrible. And yeah. so you kind of, you kind of, when you hear that, and then you hear what ended up on the record, like you could really hear Bob Rock's influence. So not Bob Ross. Yeah, not Bob Ross. Yeah. <laughs> cool. cool, 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 cool. For for all we know, Bob Ross painted the album cover. Who knows? <laughs> but, Possibly. Yeah. Happy happy little uh, skull with the with the long hair. Got a happy but, uh, little crack in the uh, in in the uh, in the porcelain here. In the porcelain, right? But uh, yeah, so you know, it it definitely sounds great. Uh, and, and you said, like, you know, the guitar tone is heavy. You know, it still sounds like Mick Mars, but they just, it's like they took Mick Mars's guitar sound, but like, okay, whoever recorded this before did not EQ this properly. Let's let's put this right. in a proper EQ. And now this is what, you know, Mick Mars' guitar should sound like. Um, and I think, you know, you get, you get into that even more, I think, on the next record, which we'll get to in a minute. But, um, yeah, I mean, the sound is great. And, you know, I, I think you made an excellent point about without the drugs, all you're left with is the womanizing and, and the song titles and all that kind of stuff really is just cheesy and it's you know it's almost work. self-parody like i said it was cool back yes. in 1980 whatever but by the time you're getting into like the late 80s early 90s people are starting to get a little bit like do you guys like talk about anything else in your songs <laughs> like yeah. you know like what what else you got you know like iron maidens over here giving me like m- the latest and greatest in, in literary masterpieces and you guys are <laughs> You guys are doing this. <laughs> you know. I feel like this record is the result of the 1980s that Motley Crue helped create in popular music. So they were on every drug possible, and now they're clean. They're working with Bob Rock, who I feel like we have a huge look inside of his process just from the documentary on the Metallica Black Album. Yeah. I could see Bob Rock in 1988, 1989, listening to Girls, Girls, Girls and says, I want to work with that band because they're 90% and they need to be 99.9. Totally agree. So take all those bands that were influenced by this sound, this mentality, this idea that Motley Crue, you mentioned it's all about womanizing, Dan. Yep, pretty much. It's Motley Crue, dude. So take that band and give them to Bob Rock. 
Who says, have you heard what Bon Jovi's doing? Have you heard Whitesnake? Have you listened to Warrant, guys? You created this. You need to just buy into it. You need to grab a hold of it because the 90s are going to be here very soon and Nirvana is going to fuck all of this up for everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. now you have Dr. Feelgood. I think it's a really good record by Motley Crue. And if Motley Crue is the band that creates the hits, I think this record is right there. It's a bigger sound. It's better songs than what you had on Theater of Pain, but you're still getting the Motley Crue experience. I don't think anyone listening to this cares that the band is no longer doing piles and piles of drugs backstage. Yeah. (laughs) It is an interesting thing because knowing the the behind the scenes of them now, you know, back then we didn't know that. We just knew it was a new Motley Crue record and holy crap, Dr. Feelgood comes out. You're like, holy shit. Like... I mean, that was like a perfect single to put out because it's like, you're like, okay, Motley Crue, what do they got? And then they come out and just punch you with the heaviest riff they've ever, you know, put out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, holy shit. Like, and now everybody wants to hear it. And, you know, you got all this ear candy with the singles that would come, you know, kickstart my heart. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, of, you know, without you personally, but that was a huge song. Uh, same old situation. It's just that that is a phenomenal song. That is a banger. It's just same old situation. It's like when you think of a rock song, that's just a rock song. It is absolutely just a cool, upbeat, just kind of grooving. You're kind of bopping to it, and it's a heavy riff and stuff like that. Like that's a great song. And then, you know, they had so many singles on this album, and you know, even you get into you know, um, don't go away mad. Like it's you know, we talked earlier about how they created the sound, and then like people followed them. I think they kind of, you know, did it again with this one because they were the first ones to really get like, we want that massive, monstrous production. You know, it's not just like this drug soaked, let's go in and bang out a record in a month type of thing. They were, you know, the first 80s band to really go in there and be like, we're going to take, you know, a year to make a make an album. And it's everything's going to be, you know, razor sharp, perfect, you know, referencing the dirt again. You know, they were talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes you know, there were days that Vince Neil would get a word on tape. Right. You know, he, yeah. Singing wise, like like Bob Rock's like, no, wow. none of this is good except for this word. And he absolutely beat the shit out of them to make sure that this stuff was like absolutely perfect. And no 80s band had done that. So again, even though they're clean and it, it wasn't very 80s-ish to kind of do that at the time, they were blazing new trails even with that. They're like, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to take this, you know, drug-soaked, booze-soaked, chick crazy band and actually make a good solid record with good production and you know interesting arrangements and stuff they were the first ones to do that so yet again they're doing things that bands had not done so speaking of things that bands had done (laughs) uh let's uh i guess let's go ahead and move into uh molly crew self-titled 1994 or as I like to call it, Motley Crue and Chains. <laughs> uh, you know, and and so I, I'm going to... It sounds like I'm trashing this record, but like, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't... I've never been a huge 80s metal fan. Um, I have been kind of the person that can listen to these bands and listen and understand why people liked it and understand what the appeal is and understand the amount of talent that it did take some of these bands to get to the level that they got to. But like some of the more more formative bands that I started listening to growing up were like Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and stuff like that. So I did. Did I know that Molly Crew put out a grunge record in 1994? 
No, I did not. Not before doing this. Uh, not before doing this episode. And I'm not gonna lie, they did not do a bad job of it. Um, you've got Bob Rock uh, back uh, <laughs> back behind the helm of the band, and this is again similar to what they tried to do on Doctor Feelgood. They did a much better job of capturing Motley Crue on Doctor Feelgood. But I mean, so the biggest thing, obviously, with this record is Vince Neil's gone, uh, and you end up with a different vocalist. And um, you know, I, I I don't know, man. What do we what do we think about John Karabi's vocals on on this record? His vocals on this record are awesome. His vocals on Vince Neil songs live don't fit. Sure, um, understandably. This record's weird for me because I love the production of it. Like it's dirty, it's heavy. Um, Smoke the Sky is one of the coolest, heaviest things ever. Oh yeah. Um, but I, this record didn't really grab me. Um, you know, I, most of my friends that are into Motley Crue like ha- hail this as just a masterpiece. They absolutely love it. And you know, I I, I think uh, I always have two very strong thoughts about this one. Um, Hooligans Holiday, poor choice for a first single. Uh, sure. it, it, it does not stand out on the record, much less as, okay, this is what we're going to put out as a single. Um, it did not agree with that choice at all. Uh, and also, I always wonder how this would have been received had it come out in like 91 or 92, because, it, you know, Dr. Feelgood was 1989. So you have a five year gap. So obviously, Motley Crue at that point, <clears throat> you know, grunge had come. And obviously, no one's waiting for a Motley Crue record in '94 because you know at that no. point, you know, in in utero, you know, Nirvana's already on their third record. So, what if they had put this record out right about the time of Nevermind, you know, in 1991 or even 1992? That it 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 it, it would have sounded like okay, you know, Motley Crue is trying to jump on the grunge train, but they would have still been you know enough in people's consciousness because that tour. For Doctor Feelgood went on for you know a couple years. People still would have been aware of Motley Crue, and then if they freshen up the sound with a new vocalist and stuff, I I, I think this record would have been received in a very 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 different light had it come out two or three years earlier. I I don't know how you where you guys stand on that, but that that has always been my overriding thought about this record that it was like two or three years too late. I will push that challenge back on you, John Drake, and say. What would this record have sounded like or how would it have been received if they had not done the obvious 90s touch of just take out all the reverb, guys? Reverb was (laughs) the 80s. We want it to sound direct and it's not going to sound good. Just dry as hell. Cold chamber. Sway. So hypnotic. (laughs) That's what we're going for in 94. Throw that 80s sound, that big drum room sound on this record. I'm not saying it would have been received well, but it might have been closer to Theater of Pain, and I think it would have been just fine. I just don't think anyone could make that decision in 1994, because clearly they were trying to be trendy and stick with what was popular at the time. Metallica did it too. Well, at least this record's good. Metallica did it and sucked absolute ass. So, John, get out of my house. I think Dude, that <laughs> load, lo, lo, look, lo, load and Metallica was absolute pure, like liquid, hot shit, disgusting, putrid garbage from about 94 until they put out Death Magnetic. So don't even get me. You want to have me on again? We'll debate that because that's just shit on a stick. But <laughs> we, we've, um, done, we've done Metallica to death on this show. But yeah, like, I go think figure. That <laughs> I, I agree that if the record had come out earlier, 
that there would have been it may have been more well received yeah better the, reception. the biggest the biggest travesty with this record for me is that it comes across to the general fan base as it's 1994 motley crew's finally gotten with the times and is now trying to release a grunge album even though the grunge movement is already starting to go out the door right so like in in hipster language when something really cool is happening in society the second you hear about it on the local news it's already over right <laughs> yeah you know like it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore uh and so then motley Crue shows up with what i would consider to actually be a very heartfelt and genuine record yeah that unfortunately has the same cosmetic sounds as bands like alice in chains and so people are going to hear it and they're going to say oh well they're just trying to do an alice in chains thing but when you really dig into this record and really listen to the songs and you've got songs about child abuse you've got songs about like very like real kind of you've got normal kind of lyrics on a motley crew record yeah and the whole thing comes across to me as extremely sincere and interesting and but unfortunately nobody's going to pay attention because nobody that's nobody that listens to Alice in Chains or Nirvana or, or Pearl Jam or Smashing Pumpkins is going to buy a Motley Crue record. Yeah, like it's just not going to happen. And so I think that like they were kind of in this weird area where it's like, well, we did a really good job on this. We worked really really hard on it, and and now all of a sudden everyone hates it. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's hard too because again, you don't have your iconic you don't have your iconic vocalist. You know on. And so the the entire thing just comes across as outrageously strange. So like the first thing that they had to do really was to get Vince Neil back and kind of go back to their original sound, which unfortunately um, is not. Well, it's just not what they did. <laughs> they never ever. Yeah, I mean but they got and, Vince you know, Neil back, but yeah, maybe right, they shouldn't but, have. But before we get to that, a two second thing here, my buddy, I I, I mentioned earlier, you know, Chris Aiken, we talked about this. He, his favorite record is this Motley Crue record from 94, the self-titled album. Yeah. And But he even he, like he's a, he's a big Motley Crue guy and he loves this record. He said the tour was, was shit because he loved the Karabi record. But then, you know, again, he, he went to see it live and hearing Karabi doing stuff like Home Sweet Home and all the cheesy 80s stuff like it just did not fit at yeah. all you know so i think i think you used an incredible word dan when you said you know this record is sincere and i completely agree with that it was you know they themselves have said you know the self-titled record was a result of jamming they'd never done that like karabi actually played guitar so when they got together to, to work on this material they had a second guitar player in there you know with mick mars and with nikki six like hey what about this like let's you know coming up with stuff it's like you know, it wasn't just Nikki Six banging out some cheesy power chord stuff and throwing right. some, you know, lyrics about like chicks and, and drugs over the top. You know, Karabi brought an honest rock and roll type of vibe to it, but it it absolutely clashed with their classic material, and I, I think that's why it didn't work. So, you know, to your point, you know, they had to do only there's only one thing they could have done, and that's get uh, you know Vince Neil back. And now, uh, you know, uh, let's let's be honest here. Uh, you know, the, there's an, a very appropriate song title on this next record, which is Flush. And basically what they did, they just absolutely flushed their chance at a comeback record down the drain with uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll turn it over to you, Joe. Go ahead. Generation Swine 1997. I mean, if I didn't know what to put on an album cover in 97, I would just take a picture of Primus and say, we're good, guys. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's not what this is. OK, yeah. I'm sorry. Let me go back and 
find another band to take a picture of. <laughs> I, 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 can su- I can sum this record up very simply in a couple seconds with this. I was driving to my gig yesterday with my wife, and she likes all the 80s stuff. You know, she's, she's my age. She's, mid, she's mid-40s. And she's total 80s girl. And her favorite band in the world is Guns N' Roses. So she knows the Motley Crue's, the White Snakes. She loves it. So I was like, all right. I told her I was doing this show. I was, I was going to jump on with you guys on discography discussion. Go sign up to be a Patreon member. It's only a few bucks a month. And, you know, I said, $1 a month, guys. $1 a month. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> but but anyway, I, I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the show about Motley Crue. So I, I was listening to some stuff in the car. And I was like, all right, I got to, re- I got to, you know, I'm, we just decided to start listening to random music. And I said, you have to guess this band. And she says, okay. So I brought up Generation Swine. I started going through tracks. She's like, I have no idea what the, why, this, this sucks. What the hell are you playing me? I said, okay, well, let me play some other stuff from this band. And I pulled up Home Sweet Home. She goes, Motley Crue. She goes, so who is that other band? And I think everybody did. And even me, when they came out in 97 at the American Music Awards, it was a Billboard Music Awards, I think it was American Music Awards, whatever. And they were like, here's Motley Crue. And it had leaked that they were going to play Shout at the Devil. You're like, hell yeah. And they go into this techno weird thing. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like Vince <laughs> Neil's back and this is what you give me? And I think that encapsulates this whole record. Like you hear Vince Neil's back in Motley Crue. It's been, you know, what, eight years, nine years, which is not a ton of time, but it's enough time. And you get this, you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> so here's what happens when your lead vocalist comes back into the band and he wants to write a grunge record. I'll say it. This is 97. What was popular in the majority of American rock stations at the time? Europop, grunge was fighting the battle, but it was on the way out. Alternative rock. Alternative rock is the easiest way to say it. So what is Motley Crue going to do? Well, we're just going to pretend that last record didn't happen. I think that's what this is. I don't think this is a good album, but... It's a giant piece of shit. It's fucking terrible in every single way. It's They were writing it when Karabi was still in the band. They were purposely trying to put the Alice in Chains harmonies on it. The songwriting is terrible. The tones are terrible. It is absolutely a piece of fucking steaming hot garbage. It is fucking putrid. This is like risk, like Megadeth risk level crap. This is like Metallica St. Anger level crap. This is absolutely shit on a stick. This record is so fucking bad. There is nothing on this album that sounds like Motley Crue. And they close it with this putrid fucking piano bell. Brandon, you know, Tommy Lee talking about his son like, Brandon, I love you. Yeah, we get it. You had a kid. Shut the fuck up and play drums, okay? And if you're going to write a song about your kid, guess what? Write some lyrics that are at least not fucking third grade. I'm going to rhyme. I had a baby. I really like him. Fuck you, Tommy Lee. And fuck this fucking record. This record sucks ass. It is the single worst comeback record of any band ever. Any band that ever lost an original member and did a comeback, this is the fucking worst one ever. And thankfully, a guy in the band agrees with me. Vince Neil hates it as well he should. It's fucking garbage. Shit on a stick. Let's move on. Go. This fucking record blows. I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. No, John said it all. I mean, this. I don't say this on the show very often. This record it just sucks. It's not. It's not the band. You know how I said that the last record was sincere. 
and that they were really trying to do a cool thing. This is the exact opposite of that. This yep. is this is them absolutely trying to cash in on what's popular in the late nineties. Yeah, and do it and, and and so many trend jumps within one record. You know, it just doesn't sound good. Vince Neil sounds like garbage. Everything just yep. sounds terrible. There's almost no guitar presence in the record at all. Thank you. I was uh, gonna mention you, that. Yep. Which you would think which you think would be like a staple of a Motley Crue record that the guitar would be the central in- instrument. But no, it's just like, oh, uh, you guys like kind of like, like that, like softer, like radio stuff, right? Yeah, you know, I kind of like that stuff from people that know what they're doing to make that kind of stuff. But you well, guys don't it, know how to make that kind of stuff. So yeah. what are you doing? And it, even if you're trying to make a grunge record, okay, I get it. If you're trying to do the Alice in Chains thing, it'd be all weird. Dude, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, the guitar is still central to it. Especially Alice in Chains, there's heavy guitar. It sounds fat. You know, you got stuff like, you know, I mean, it's a couple years earlier, but, you know, Dirt and the self-titled Alice in Chains record and whatnot. Like, you know, it's like guitars there. It's big, fat guitar. And this was just shit, especially when you have Mick Mars, who's known for having a very signature guitar sound. You can use the late 90s production when things finally started sounding bigger and more full. You had it on Dr. Feelgood. You had it on the self-titled record. And then you go into this chintzy, clean trash. Like, everything about this record is just wrong. So They would have been better off going all straight corn. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Because, like, in 1997, that still would have been, like, originality points. Yeah. You know, like, you can, you can get away with copying off corn of before 2000. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, like it would have been, it would have been okay. I don't know if the diehards would have loved it, but they would have loved it a lot more than this. At yeah. least it would, have, at least it would have been heavy. It would have been aggressive. It would have been what you go to when you listen to a heavy metal band. I don't go yeah. to a heavy, I don't go to a heavy metal concert to be lulled to sleep. Yeah, you know, and that's just what this record did. Let's just, I'm, I'm done talking. Let's, let's just go. <laughs> yeah. to, uh, new tattoo. Let's go. I've been yes. listening to this since John said, "Let's move on." Two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the album that should have came out in 1997 or 1994. Exactly. Yeah, this is this is Motley Crue's Death Magnetic. You know, it's it's the record. You know, Death Magnetic for Metallica was the record that should have come out after the Black Album, and for Motley Crue, you know, New Tattoo is the one that should have come out. You know, after the self-titled record, and you know, we're we're now into the period of the Crue where it's it's not great, but it's good enough to they can they can go on tour, and if you listen to it, it's like background music. And it, it still kind of sounds like Motley Crue. I mean, there's nothing memorable about any of the stuff going forward. It but sounds at least it like. Sounds, go ahead. Yeah, no, I completely agree with where you're going. It sounds like the band that put out Dr. Feel Good and Girls, Girls, Girls and Shout at the Devil. And they made a yep. new record. And maybe they'll play a song live, but they're going to play yeah, the hits. He- yeah, Hell on High Heels. Yeah. And, and you know, Nikki Six himself, he said. You know, again, sorry to reference the dirt, but I absolutely love that book. You know, he 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 specifically said that you know after you know the self-titled album and Generation Swine, you know they had that infamous MTV interview where the chick where where the you know chicks fire and you know drugs and all that stuff. The interviewer had asked him about it. He threw a fit. He realized like you know what people go to Motley Crue concerts to get laid and to hear songs about chicks and fire and you know drugs and all that stuff. And so he's like, I'm just gonna write a Motley Crue record, and that that's what you get with this one. And he finally started getting the point. He's like, yeah, this is what we are. And, you know, much as I might not like that sort of trope or, you know, that reputation, that's what people want from us. And that's what we're good at. And he went back to it. So I I give him credit, a lot of credit for doing that. So I think it's what a lot of bands, classic bands that have kind of come back and are now putting new records out. It's kind of the same thing they do. 
It's not that they're putting out music that's going to set the world on fire. They're never going to release. They're never going to li- relive the same popularity that they had originally. But they do know that they have a core fan base that are going to buy tickets and go out and see them anytime they play. You know, and I think that's really cool. I think that's the best thing that a band can do, especially yep. a band that was really popular and had kind of this like kind of faux pas uh, couple of records that you know maybe might have isolated some people from the band. It's cool that all these years later that Molly Crew can go out on tour and they can still do really, really well and have a great time doing it. Um, and they're older. They're a little bit more professional. They're not destroying hotel rooms and, you know, just being absolutely crazy. And uh, which it's funny because a lot of that stuff we didn't talk about earlier on in the early days, the trash hotel rooms, how much of that stuff was staged, yeah. you know, by, by the record <laughs> label, to, you know, like arrests were staged and, and, and all this stuff. Yep. But, um, you know, at this point, they're just like, we have to put a record out that's going to be similar enough to our older material to where old fans will be excited about it. They'll they will at least buy the new records. And um, they do a really, really good job on this record of just reestablishing the status quo yep. of, you know, OK, you bought a new Motley Crue record, so it's going to have all the same elements in it that you're used to from a from a Motley Crue record. We're not going to go. We're not going to go chasing some weird, crazy musical passion project we came up with, you know, mid-career. You know, we're, we're just going to we're going to double down on that sound. And yeah. I think they did a pretty good job. This is not my favorite because this is, to be honest, this is not my favorite kind of music. But I can also understand why uh, Motley Crue fans like it. Um, yep. I don't think they necessarily hit it out of the park on this one, though. And I think that they do. They are able to kind of get better at that as they go further. Yeah. I, I if, if I can point something out about this record, I think that that doesn't get talked about nearly enough I, I i think randy castillo on drums on this one it's like you know tommy lee as we talked about earlier is such a central you know he's the focal point of the songs on most of their stuff you know he brings that musicianship and if you're going to replace tommy lee when tommy lee decides he doesn't want to do it anymore um randy castillo has such a unique style um he is just such a great player was such a great player but he nails that Motley Crue vibe on this one, but he still has that little bit of Randy Castillo in there. I like I don't think anybody talks about what he did on this album nearly enough. Like I've I've always liked what he does on this album. It's it's just awesome. It, it sounds like vintage crew. I think for the most part, if if you you know the average fan didn't know that Tommy Lee wasn't in the band, they would never know based on hearing this record, but they would hear some things that are a little bit different here and there, like, ooh, that's some unique stuff that Tommy did. Like but it ain't Tommy. It's it's Randy. Like I, he he's he is an absolute unsung hero of on this album t- to me personally. So, um, and if you're gonna I, fill in for Tommy Lee because that's what the fans think you did, you just gotta play the beat. Yeah, it works. Yeah, hundred yep. percent. I think this is the album you want to listen to. Besides Generation Snake, I mean, we talked about Motley Crue. I think we had better things to say about Motley Crue than we did about Generation Snake. So I'm sorry, Generation Swine. I, I was I was gonna I don't say, know why like, I have Snake it, in my head. Maybe it's if, a Motley Crue thing. It's fine, John. If you're it's gonna right, bang on Bob if you're Ross gonna bang in your head, I was gonna say if you, if you, Yeah, if we're gonna bang on Dan for Bob Ross, we're gonna bang on you for Generation Snake. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you don't you do that. You guys are don't so you respectful. you bastard. You guys well, are so respectful. You're like, well, I'm not going to interrupt the man in mid-sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's not my show. If it was my show, I, I would have absolutely just like, I, w- I would I would, still be making that joke, but it's not my show. So, <laughs> Stop. Everybody stop. This guy said something wrong. <laughs> All right. So back Saints on track. Of Los Angeles, 19, whatever year it was, 2008. Yeah, there you go. The blind yeah, guy can't read. 1990 something, you know. 
So last Motley Crue's last full length record, um, not good. Musically, cool stuff, whatever. Uh, lyrically, really, really dumb. The like, oh, we're from L.A. Here's the whole record. How we're from L.A. We got arrested. We partied. Like, oh, shut up, man. Just seriously. California, California. Yeah. I yeah. thought musically this was this was really solid. Yeah, I completely agree. Lyrically, I mean, I stopped paying attention to Molly Crew lyrics a long time ago, but like, it is definitely very like, hey guys, you remember back in the old days when we used to do all this yeah. crazy stuff? I mean, now I'm on like eight <laughs> different pain medications, so like when I, you know, like when I wake up in the morning, I've got this like little divider that has all the days of the week on it, and I just take whatever <laughs> pill is in the divider. They leave that part right. out of the lyrics. It's all about just like remembering the old days so like it's kind of lame in that regard but like i think it's still just as good as new tattoo in that like it still establishes it still continues that new norm that they established on new tattoo and again all the people listening to this let's be honest they're also taking pain pills out of a out of a weekly divider a day divider <laughs> yeah a pill box so like it's it's fine i mean i i understand the whole like i mean like look at this show that we do this whole show discography discussion is you guys remember back when this band was good? You know, like that's <laughs> that's kind of the, like what we do here. So, you know, I can't fault them too much for that. Uh, it's definitely not something I'm ever going to listen to again. Yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was it was fine. I guess that's all I can really say about it is it was fine. I think I think the problem with the lyrics on this one is, you know, uh, earlier we talked about Nikki Six and like, oh, my God, his lyrics actually kind of suck. But you never really realize it until, like, again, like stuff like this. Like, we all went back and listened to these Motley records and to, to purposely dig into them. And you kind of go, oh shit, like, it's not, the lyrics aren't very good. You know, but if you're just randomly listening to Motley Crue, you don't really notice. You're just like, yeah, it's Motley Crue, cool. Well, I think this one, finally, the lyrics are so bad that they kind of do front and center. So even if you're just listening for fun, you're like, wait, what, what did he just say? Ugh, what is that? Like, you know, and sometimes you get those records where the lyrics are so abysmal that you're it, it kind of takes it, 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 you focus on them without meaning to. And I think that's what happens with this album. Um, you know, that's I, I have two overriding thoughts about this about this record, the, the lyrics. And I will never be able to picture this album without seeing Tommy Lee's like 87 inch bass drum. Like Tommy Ooh, Lee's okay. cool, <laughs> dude. He, he's cool. I love Tommy. He's a great drummer. But and I get you want to do something different, but that it, giant oversized bass drum, like just stop it, just fucking stop. Like that's okay. You cross the clear, line. To be clear, this is the guy who mounted his entire platform to a crane and created one of the best live gimmicks of all time. That eventually cool. would be fully realized with his roller coaster drum set on the last tour. But but dude, but that's cool, right? I mean that's cool. But you see, I mean, didn't you see this, the video for Saints of Los Angeles and see that bass drum and go, what is this clown shit? Like, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, like, when, 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 when you saw Wildside and he's spinning, you're like, oh, my God, that's cool. And then, you know, the same old situation video, where he's got the floating thing and then, you know, the roller coaster and all this other stuff. You're like, OK, this is cool. But then you see this dumb, giant bass drum. You're like, what the hell is that? It was the first time you did that with Tommy. Like, stop, dude. OK. <laughs> <laughs> like, so we're gonna go all the way to the yeah. left. Ridiculous. <laughs> we're gonna go all the way to the right. Right. Just, just ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This. I mean, like you said, like musically, I think this sounds like a crew record. Um, I, I think there's, some, it, I, I think there's some really interesting riffs on this record. It's, you know, I think, I think Mick did some really cool stuff on this. Um, 
you know, I don't know a lot about it. Like I say, like, uh, you know, full disclosure, you know, after Dr. Feelgood, like I heard the self-titled record. I was like, meh, you know, because I was, you know, I graduated high school in 94. So I was like, at that point, I was still super, you know, close-minded. I'm only slightly less close-minded now. <laughs> so, you know, after, after 90, that, yeah. yeah, it's like, so after that, I was like, and then, you know, when they came back with Vince, like I say, and, you know, Generation Swine, I was like, okay, this is shit. Fuck Motley Crue, whatever. Um, so that having been said, like, I, I don't know a lot about the riff writing process for this record. So I don't know if like Mick had a lot to do with it, or if it was still just Nikki, but you know, there was some really interesting guitar stuff. It was a little bit different. They like, they had some cool things going on that I don't think they had done before. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't very far away from their core sound, but it was, there was a little bit of interesting kind of little nuggets there that weren't there before. So I, I will say that about, you know, saints of Los Angeles. So that that's pretty cool. Um, but again, it's, you know, this again, same thing with new tattoo. It's kind of like you like it just enough to go see the concert. Like, you know, that Motley Crue's coming. You're going to buy a ticket no matter what. And so, oh, they got a new record. You just kind of go listen to it because it's Motley Crue. And you're like, all right, I like about, you know, one tenth of this. And it's cool. You know, it's, <laughs> yep. it's kind of innocuous, I would say. So, um, you know, it's just kind of there. Um, and again, it's, it's their last full length record. And, uh, you know, what else can you say about it? Final thoughts on Motley Crue. Dan. Yeah, I mean, Molly Crew was a band that was really cool back in the day and is trying to be kind of cool now. Um, I was surprised at how good they actually were, that some of their stuff, you know, like all the way up into the 90s, actually caught my attention. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, this is a great example of a band that if they had actually listened to their management and made better life choices, I feel like they still could be one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, so I definitely think that maybe their first four or five albums have quite a bit of value uh, as far as like musical value. Everything else, unfortunately, has just been sort of trying to recapture that in some direction, some way or another. And I think that like obviously their later albums were their last two albums were a little bit more successful in that than whatever they were trying to do in the 90s. Uh, but like I do think every band goes through that. So like if you're a fan of if you're a fan of like 80s. 80s metal and and 80s hard rock i think motley Crue is a band you're probably already intimately familiar with and um you know you either think they can do no wrong or you're very disappointed when you see the band live uh these days john drake what about you uh the first five records are phenomenal uh i, th I think it's a, it's a it's a perfect case study uh for a band that when they were good they were so freaking good that they can just ride that train forever uh, you know, I, I would bring up Guns N' Roses. You know, when you when you everyone knows Guns N' Roses, they're doing stadiums to this day. But when you think about it, they really only have three albums, and you're like, oh my god, really? Like three albums? And Motley Crue, I think, is in that in the, in that you know in that pool. They've they've got the first five records, and it's just like, holy god, is that good? And the rest, you're kind of like, Ugh, you know. Yeah. And the stuff was so good and so memorable that it wipes out things like Generation Swine and. You know the self-titled record you know with a different vocalist and stuff like people kind of gloss over that because they think you know shout at the devil and theater of pain and girls 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 and stuff like that um you know nikki six is not a great songwriter compared to other stuff as we have said but he's he wrote songs that are so catchy and so unbelievably memorable i i always look at motley crew kind of like in the same vein as kiss because people make fun of kiss a lot too you know oh kiss sucks like they're crappy musicians and they can't write a song, did it? I'm like, yeah, except for the fact that Kiss has more gold records than anybody. And Kiss <laughs> has so much memorable stuff. And again, to bring up the fact that, you know, the three of us actually play instruments and stuff, and we've been in bands, 
Like to write songs that are this catchy and yet still that simple is so ungodly difficult. You have to tip your hat to anybody that can do that. And Nikki Six did it for at least five records. And not only did he do it for five records, he did it while he was so blasted out of his gourd <laughs> right. on drugs and booze that he killed himself. So it's there is a certain amount of being it's it's impressive you know what what he has accomplished what the band has accomplished and um unfortunately you know i wouldn't go see the tour now because i know vince is so ungodly bad i just don't want to see it it's kind of like why i won't go see metallica because lars's drumming is just putrid garbage but um <laughs> the songs and everything you you i, I think motley Crue is a band you can't deny because even even though like their stuff when you when I dug into it like it's it sounds dated when you look at them now for some reason they still seem kind of cool I don't I don't know yeah. what it is but it, they do seem kind of cool you know so I I give them a ton of credit and I will still listen to the first five records and be like fuck yeah Motley Crue I think Motley Crue set a bar that many tried to imitate because nobody could really grab that bar maybe they found something that was missing in the early 80s or they just took what was there and said this is how we're going to create the mainstream for the next nine years i think they are one of the most fun bands to listen to when what you want to hear is heavy metal from the 80s or if you want to listen to the band that defined what 80s excess is everyone talks about hair metal in the 80s some people like it some people make fun of it everybody talks about heavy metal in the late 70s early 80s the groove that totally invaded the mainstream and then we look back and we say what were the bands that held that flag motley Crue is always one of those names guns and roses is there metallica is there for what they did but motley Crue is that big name they weren't Def Leppard writing catchy rock songs. They were writing heavy metal songs in the 80s that anyone could listen to. So no matter how trash some of it is, the stuff that is worth listening to is solid gold. So listen to Motley Crue. You're going to have a good time. Clearly everyone else in the room is. Damn, what's your album of the week? Well, I, I think you knew this one was coming, but uh, I've been listening to Colors 2 by Between the Buried and Me for the past week or so, and uh, I'm not going to give away how I feel about it, uh, you know, because, you know, Patreon is a thing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we'll talk about it there. Uh, but yeah, Colors 2 is, uh, is a good record by Between the Buried and Me and my favorite in a long time that they've put out. John Drake, what about you? I'm going to go back to one that came out... Uh two months ago and i'm still stuck on it and call me a honk van halen is my favorite band there it uh, is, dude dude the wolfgang van halen record mammoth wvh that record is yes. just ab dude that record hey, we're is talking about that on patreon soon too oh get me on so I many will, plugs so many plugs I, I will i would love to talk about that i saw wolfgang played in cleveland on it was a, literally uh three weeks ago he played here in cleveland the house of blues on saturday night and then my wife and I went to Detroit the next day to see Wolfgang open for Guns N' Roses. And so I saw Wolfgang live two nights in a row. That record is just, I, I can't even believe how good, it, like I hate it in a way because everyone made fun of me. I was like, Wolfgang Van Halen's got a record coming. Everyone's like, oh, of course, John's going to like it. And it's so good. I'm like, God damn it. I do like it that much. And now everyone's going to think I'm just like, because it's got the Van Halen name in it. But no, it's that good. So yeah, I mean. 
that record is just, I mean, ear candy from start to fricking finish. It's, it's incredible. It is so catchy. It's just good old school, heavy guitar rock. And the songwriting is just beautiful. It's everything about that record is just awesome. So that's, that's been on my mind and in my ears for, you know, whatever. It's been two months since it came out. For me, it's Motorhead, March or Die. Wow, Motorhead, old school. All right. I'm bringing it back. We're going to talk about that band at some point in the podcast, right, Dan? Who has enough time for that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of their stuff sounds the same. Uh, what? They're a heavy ACDC. Let's. Uh, Fair, enough. <laughs> Fair enough. John Drake, thanks for hanging out with this man. What is going on with all of the podcasts that you're currently a part of? Well, thank you guys for having me on. I had an absolute blast with our, you know, Dream Theater episodes. Obviously, that was a total blast. And obviously, Joe, you and I keep in touch. Dan, you and I keep in touch. So, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, like I say, the Nerf Herder Council will be live this coming Wednesday at eight fifteen p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, YouTube and Facebook and stuff. So, if you're into Star Wars and it's kind of like this. It's just like guys who get together and drink and start bullshitting about Star Wars as opposed to music. So uh, check that out if you're into that. Like the humor's there and it's, you know, we're very honest about things. Uh, and if you're a fan of Dream Theater, I do have a podcast called Talking Into Infinity. So you can check that out. We are live every other uh, every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So next week is going to be my Star Wars podcast, the Nerf Herder Council. The week after that will be my Dream Theater podcast. And uh, the next episode of the Dream Theater podcast is September 9th. And I'm actually having a guest host on. And uh, we'll be talking about Score, the 2006 20th anniversary show they did in New York City. And I was there. I road trip. I'm in their documentary for that record. And uh, it's going to be a really cool episode. We got a lot of fun stuff coming up on that one. Um, later on this year, we're going to be doing a huge Images and Words deep dive. We're going to do, it's a two-part episode. We're going to dive deep into Images and Words. We always like to dig into the records, but it's a two-part episode. It's all in one night. We're going to dig into Images and Words, and then we're going to have Monty Colvin from the Galactic Cowboys on to go through all of his Nice. Yeah. So all of the tour stories for Images and Words. So we're going to go into the record, and then Monty's going to come on and tell us what it was like to actually tour with the band and all the crazy stories about all the goofy stuff they did. So that'll be fun. Um, yeah, and, and the Nerf Herder Council, we're going to be doing some uh, fan interaction stuff. We're going to be doing some weekend things where everybody can just get drunk. We're going to really do movie watch-alongs and just get hammered and, and, and say what we want to say. Um, you know, you talked about social media earlier, Dan, when starting the show, and you know, it's 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 a minefield out there. Like you said, there's no ground. There's actually just mines. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. sometimes we just get drunk and watch Star Wars and say whatever the hell we want to say. So we're going to do there that with go. the Nerf Herder Council. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming on. So you know, Nerf Herder Council and, uh, you know, NerfHerderCouncil.com or Talking Into Infinity, TalkingIntoInfinity.com. So if you like Star Wars or Dream Theater, come check it out and hang out, man. And again, thank you guys for having me on, man. It's been a blast. And for all of you guys watching out there, I'm going to do a little plug right now. Make sure you subscribe to Discography Discussion on Patreon. As Joe has said, it only starts at one freaking dollar. So make sure you sign up, but sign up for more than a dollar because it's definitely worth it. As they said, they've done over 230 episodes. So make sure you guys spend some money on these guys because they put out phenomenal content constantly. So spend some money on Discography Discussion. Thank you, John. And I think we need to have you all on the next episode of Movie Mosh. What do you think, Dan? Can we just watch Star Wars with the Nerf Herder Council? Are, are we still doing Movie Mosh? I guess we are. Yeah, we can, <laughs> we can it's my show. Day. I'll bring it back. 
it died somewhere. <laughs> it died somewhere early 2020, where we all got together in a room and watched a movie and recorded our thoughts on it, and then gave like a little review at the end. Yeah, um, yeah, like, I'd be down for something like that for sure. I'm in. Um, I'm in. Especially with technology now, we could probably we need none of us even have to leave our houses. We could just watch the movie privately and and you know tell the listening audience <laughs> like, all right, hit play now. <laughs> you <Yep>. know. And, <laughs> Exactly. Like, yeah, do some like riff tracks type of stuff. Yep. Take us out, DFT. If you guys have ever been listening to this podcast and you would like to uh, be a little bit more involved in what bands we talk about, what topics we talk about, who I interview, you know, that sort of thing. There's a lot of ways you can reach out to us. You can reach out to us on Facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal or on Instagram at Discuss Metal. You can send us an old fashioned email at Dan and Joe Show at gmail.com. And uh, if you guys like the classic discography discussion logo, I would go to our Teespring store and order one right now because pretty soon you're not going to be able to get it anymore. It's going to be officially retired. So be sure to check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes that'll take you to our Teespring store. Uh, so yeah, like I said, if you want that old logo, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to get it real soon because uh, if not, you're going to you're going to it's going to be replaced with the uh, what I have dubbed the Dan's old dusty stereo logo. So uh, you know. <laughs> definitely make sure to check that out and uh guys we appreciate you you can always hang out and chat with us and bs with us on our discord server there'll be a link in the show notes that'll take you to our discord server so until next time thank you so much for watching or listening or having this uh tabulated to you via morse code uh we will see you guys next week and on that note this has been episode 237 of discography discussion thank you for listening you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at discuss metal Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Hey, Joe, can I borrow some money? $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Fucker, I saw that. <laughs> and don't forget to worship Stan. <laughs> worship Stan. Stan.